said, why don't we just love him? We love you, Jesus. We worship you, God. We exalt your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a sweet touch of God is in this place right now. I want to give honor to Pastor Bishop and Sister Mayo and their family. I love them very much. And I think, and I joke with my dad, and I tell him, Dad, if you ever kick me out of the church, <laughs> there's a couple churches I have in mind. Cornerstone is one of them. I love this church. I'm going to do my best to never get kicked out of the church. But if it happens, <laughs> if it happens, I also want to give honor to my wife. She is my best friend, and I could not do this without her. sister snuck in my suitcase on this trip <laughs> and when she was <laughs> singing I was kind of hoping she'd just keep right on going and preach and I just get on sit over there and say amen no I'm happy to be here happy my wife's with me happy she's with me I believe that God wants to do something special for every single one of us this morning so without further ado if we could open our Bibles to the book of Micah, chapter number 7 and verse 8. Micah, chapter 7 and verse 8. familiar passage. It reads like this. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. For just a few minutes, with the help of Almighty God. The title I give you for the sake of remembering is this. The process of victory. The process of victory. Why don't we lay our Bibles down and let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're aware that you're in this place, God. Help us not to waste your people's time. God, would you let your anointing walk down each and every row, each and every aisle, God. You know where each and every heart is. Let your anointing destroy and break every yoke, God. Let your anointing cast off the addiction, cast off the burden, cast off the fear, God. God, let your spirit take over from this point on. Let the Holy Ghost fall, God. We can't do this without you. There's no point in doing this without you, Jesus. We need you, mighty Savior. We cast our care upon you. We depend upon you, Jesus. God, we need you this morning. We give you all the glory. You may be seated. The scripture we read touches on a subject that I believe we all enjoy if we are on the right side of this subject. And that is victory. There's a lot that you could preach out of this one verse. It's not all important to what we're talking about today. But the prophet begins this verse with rejoice not against me. Oh, mine enemy, when I fall, I shall arise. 
And even though the word victory is not clearly in this verse, the idea or the concept of victory is written in the backdrop of this entire verse. In fact, this entire passage. The first thing we want to draw out is the phrase where it says, Oh, mine enemy. You know, each and every one of us have an enemy. And we will get to this later on, but that enemy is not our brother or our sister. The enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy is not the person that may at times get on our nerves or the person that we may not always see eye to eye with. That is not our enemy. That is simply something, a part of life that we all work through as we better ourselves in Christ. The enemy is much more wicked is much viler, if you could say it that way. In fact, in one place, it says that he is a roaring lion. And we'll get to that. But it doesn't say he is. It says that he walks about like he is. That's important. But this idea of victory, this idea of winning, how many of you like to lose? No one likes to lose. You can say, well, it doesn't bother me. But we all know the truth. When we play Uno attack with you, (laughs) when we get into a good game of Monopoly or Catan, and we can see the fumes start to come out of the ears as you sit there and say, oh, I don't care. But deep inside we know we have pushed your spirit to the point of losing and something inside of you is wailing up that I do not want to lose. I want to win. I believe that's God given. In Genesis he tells Adam, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Adam was not told to just Wander around in the garden to just be there. Adam was given a calling, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Walk in dominion, Adam. Walk in the authority as a son of God. You are my son, Adam. And with that comes the name of Almighty God. Adam was not created to be a loser. Adam was not created to just drift through life. And then when Eve enters the picture, now, some would say that Eve is in fact the capstone of creation. Not that she is in dominion over the man. But when you read it, Eve was not an afterthought. So the women will really enjoy this part because it seems the way that God creates all of creation. The woman was the capstone because, why? She was the last of creation. Now, y'all can debate that over lunch. That's fine. But she also had purpose. She was the help meet, not the servant, the help meet of Adam. She wasn't there to just... Do whatever Adam didn't feel like doing. No, she was there to walk beside him and to be the strength that only she could be for Adam. And they're put in the garden and they, this is your calling and this is your purpose. We know they lost. We know they fell. But I believe that so much of that first, the The genetics that that come in, and some of it's flawed. We don't have time to get into all of that, the fall and everything that came from the fall of man. But so much of that genetic genesis is still within us, that desire to win. That's why you get mad when you lose at Uno. It's not your fault. It goes way back. 
And Micah is speaking to a people that are at present defeated. They are at present beat down. But he's letting them know, rejoice not against me, oh mine enemy. In other words, I know you're out there and I know you hate my guts and I hate your guts and I may be down right now, but don't sing your victory song too soon, Satan. Rejoice not against me. Everyone loves a good victory. This is why our world is consumed with sports, with video games, with gambling, with poker. Why? It is the thrill of winning. It is the, the thrill, the emotional kick of we won, we did something. And I believe that this is a tool of Satan to give one the feeling of victory without, not, without giving one victory. Think about it. Sports. It consumes our world. Billions of dollars are poured into this industry. And the big day comes up. And you're cheering for the winning team. And they score the touchdown. Now me, I'll be at the house of God. But you, well, I don't know if you're there. And so your team scores the winning point. With two seconds left. And the crowd goes wild. Woo! You know. And the guy spikes the ball and he runs around and his teammates hit him on the head and they win. And then everybody goes home. And what did that do for anybody? It didn't do anything. It did nothing at all. It was this facade of we're going to go to this great arena. And we're going to partake in a great conflict. And we are going to partake in a great victory. And Satan laughs and says, everybody just wasted three hours of their afternoon and accomplished nothing. It's fake. It's a facade. In fact, this is just side notes for those that want to think about this kind of stuff. But... I would submit to you that anything that is of this world is fake. It's a facade. And it is a, a, an antitype. Or, or it is Satan's way of drifting or pulling people away from God's real to his fake. But because of this, this drive for victory, this desire to win, to become, to be more... People are driven to things like this. And part of victory is defeat. We talked about the Uno game that you got mad about. It's okay. We forgive you. We talked about the football game. And while one team is on the emotional high of winning, the other team walks off the field defeated. Part of victory is defeat. For one side to win... The other must lose, which immediately points out to us that we should be careful where we stand and which side we are on. There will be a winning side, and there will be a losing side. These are juxtaposed, and they can't they, they, for there to be one, the other must be there. This is why I personally go to church. And not the football game. Not because I look down on anyone. Not because I have bad feelings for anyone. But I know the wicked things that are inside of me. That come out without the Holy Ghost. And I know I must be on the winning side. And in order to do that. Every time the doors are open, I must find my way to the house of God. And I must find myself in his presence and say, God, help me to be a part of the winning side. Another part of victory, it entails that there is battle. There must be conflict. 
Some of us are afraid of conflict or, or we shy away from it. But in order for there to be victory, there must be disagreement or there must be opposition. Two sides. Some would call this a fight. Now, I know no one in here ever has fights. So I'll try and explain it a little bit. A fight is when two people disagree and they, depending on how bad the fight is, might actually reach a point of physical altercation. What does that mean? They start punching each other. Now, I know none of us get that mad, okay? <laughs> but we call this a fight. Now, sometimes we have disagreements. That's a little fight. But we're not talking about a little fight today. In fact, we're, we... we Alluded to sports, we're not even talking about the fights that go on in sports. Even the literal fights, which would be boxing or, or mixed martial arts. Or, no, we're talking about something that goes much deeper than just the physical level. We're talking about a fight of ultimate concern. We are in a fight for our very salvation. The human race is in a fight for its very existence. 1 Peter 5.8 This apostle writes, be sober. Pay attention. Be vigilant. Be on your toes. Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may Devour. I love the way Peter wrote that because it's not a definite. He walketh about as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may. He's not what he presents himself to be. He's not as scary as he wants you to think he is. Your drug addiction is not as dominating as Satan wants you to think about it. The immorality or the temptations that you struggle with. And Satan gets in your ear and says, it's too big for you to overcome. No, no, no. It's not the lion he wants you to think it is. It's just a facade. It's just a fake image that he's portraying. Hoping that you will not see through it. And then Peter says, whom he may Devour, which suggests that he must first have permission. And I believe there's biblical precedent for this when you go to the book of Job. And he has to go before. Satan has to go before God. And everything that happens to Job is under the permission of God. It doesn't matter what Satan tells you he's going to do to your family at 2 a.m. Without God's approval, he can't touch you. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to back up. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in doubt. No, no, no. He's not a lion. And without God's permission, he can do nothing in this world. The Bible says all power comes from God. No matter what Satan says, no matter what he tries to do to you. This is why the Bible says greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Why? Because all power, all authority is in Jesus. So all the power sits on the throne of God. And without going through that anointing, through that authority. This isn't in my notes, but this is why we submit to the man of God. Why? Because his authority is not his own. His authority is given from God. And the minute I step out from under the auspice of my man's authority, I step out of God's authority. It's not just because he built a church and it's this city, it's a great church. But that's not what it is. It's not, it's not just that he's a good leader and this church has an amazing leader. No, no, no. It's because this is the man that God put his authority on. And I know if I'm going to, the process of victory, if I'm going to stay in this thing all the way through to the win, all the way through to the final seconds, I've got to stay under the auspice of that authority.
One more point on this before we move on. This is why God hates rebellion. Why? Because the first sin, the first sin of Satan was rebellion. I will ascend. I will become like the Most High. He steps out of the authority of God and tries to set up his own authority. And this is why we have to be careful because anytime we step out of the authority of God, we are stepping in to the facade of Satan. And this goes deeper. All sin goes back to rebellion. And that's why God hates rebellion. That's why God hates disobedience. That's why there was such an immediate conflict in the Old Testament when they would step out and go against the man of God. This is the story of Korah. It's not because God hated Korah. It's because unbeknownst to Korah, he stepped out of the authority of God and he, he allied himself with Satan. He tied himself to the losing team. And there was consequences because of that. So we have to be careful what we tie ourselves to. We have to stay submitted. There's so many aspects of victory the process of victory. We're only going to focus on one. And since we already read from St. Peter or the Apostle Peter, we'll use him in the conclusion of this sermon this morning. When we read scripture, if we're not careful, we disconnect from the author. I don't, I don't mean... The author is God. We know that all scripture comes from God. But I mean whoever, whoever is writing in that moment. So we read Isaiah. And we see Isaiah as this dominating spiritual name. Seeing these visions. Hearing from God. Where One place he says, I saw the Lord. High and lifted up. And we think, well, I could never attain to that. But we, we forget that these men and women in Scripture were just like us. They were not some superhuman form of the human race. They were not superheroes, if you will. They were not above and beyond in some way. No, they struggled with the same things we struggle with. And they, many of them had to get up. And go and pay the bills. Another example would be the Apostle Paul. Writing so much of the New Testament. And so influential. Especially to the Gentiles. And, and all God used him to do. But if history is correct. Then the, then the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He said it himself. A Pharisee of Pharisees. And what we miss is the Pharisees were the working class. This is why Paul was a tent maker. He was a part of the working class. He was not from some immensely elaborate background where he just had billions of dollars to fund whatever he felt like doing. But if we're not careful, we miss that. Why? Because we have to go to work in the morning. And Paul, just everything we read about, he's just doing miracles. And Peter is the same way. The apostle. The man with the keys to the kingdom. The one who unlocked the door to our salvation, and we'll get to this. Was a man just like you and I. He was human. Peter was called by Jesus. You can find this in John, Matthew, and Mark. Interesting thing we'll draw out in passing. Peter did not go to Jesus by himself. He was brought to Jesus by his brother. Let's not wait for them to find God. Let's go and get them and tell them, no, we have found the Messiah. That's, that's what Peter's brother told him. We have found Messiah. Come and see him. Everywhere we go, we should be there. No, no, no. I found what you need. I found the answer to your problem. I found the answer to your dilemma. Come and see Jesus. Come and see the master with me. Peter is called by Jesus just as we 
are called by Jesus. Simon or Peter was from Bethesda. Excuse me. This is John 1 and 44. Simon's home was in Capernaum. Mark 1 29. So we know he was born. We know he had a home. We know he had a wife. Matthew 8 and 14. His wife possibly traveled with him at some point in time. Paul possibly alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 5. And so we know that for three to six years, Peter, as a human being that got tired and angry and frustrated and weary and hungry and thirsty, for three to six years, this man followed Jesus. Every day. Many would say for 24 hours and seven days a week, these men, the disciples, followed Jesus. Imagine everything they saw. We know a lot of what they saw. For instance, Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Bishop Mayo, God has taken me to some pretty deep places in prayer. But I don't think I've ever been on the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to get there. And I believe we can. Peter made it to that place. Why? How? By walking with Jesus every day. Peter was there when the 12-year-old daughter was raised back to life. And Peter himself walked on water. Now, I know none of us as kids ever read that and then was like at the pool and you're like, okay, Jesus, and then we fall straight in. None of us did that. <laughs> but Peter walked on water. And then there's something interesting to note. If you go to the book of Hebrews, it says the worlds were framed by the word of God. So I ask you this to ponder later. Was Peter walking on the water or was he walking on the words of Jesus when Jesus said, Come. If we're walking out in the storm on our own, we're going to fall. But if we're standing in a place and Jesus is saying, No, come out here. I bid you to come. Come see this, Peter. Come be a part of the miraculous. Come experience what it's like to not be in the storm, but to walk on the storm. You're not bound by the weightier things of this world, Peter. For just a second, come on. If we can get that word from God, then we can walk out into any situation. We can walk out into any turmoil. And again, we see Peter's humanity. Why? Because he becomes distracted and he begins to sink. And sometimes we can be very harsh on Peter. Oh, how dare he doubt. How dare he. But remember this, when Jesus picked him up, Jesus did not carry him to the boat. He walked on the water back to the boat. For three to six years, this man saw greatness on a level that is unparalleled. Walked in the miraculous. He held the bread and broke it and watched it just continually. How? By walking with Jesus every day. Every hour, every minute, being with the master. We know he wasn't perfect. Peter had a tendency to, to try and put his foot in his mouth as much as possible. But still, he saw greatness. And then we reach a point in Peter's life. Where he falls. Remember Micah didn't say if I fall. He said when I fall. And all of us love the first part of rejoice not against me. Oh mine enemy. We all love it. We should. But then it says when I fall. Not if. We will fall. We will make mistakes. No one is perfect. 
And we have to be careful to not use that as justification to continually fall. But that's not my message today. Peter reaches this point of when we fall. They're building up to the crucifixion and Jesus is trying to let the disciples know, Hey boys, you're going to see some things done to me that don't make sense. You're not going to understand all of it and you're not going to be able to put it all together. We must be so careful in the apostolic world to where sometimes when we step into the supernatural and our logic short circuits that we fall back on God and say, okay, God, I trust you. Remember this. Remember this, logic is not the highest form of knowledge. Revelation is the highest form of knowledge. And revelation comes from God. And revelation doesn't always make sense. And two plus two doesn't always make four. When we're looking at God saying, I have no idea how you're going to do this, God. We must at that point fall back on our faith in God. And Jesus is trying to show the disciples this. That I'm going to die. That I'm going to be crucified. And you can tell when you read through it, they're not getting it. It's not making sense. How can this guy die? He's here to establish the, the kingdom. What we refer to as the millennial reign. How is he going to die? How? He can't. No, he's got to establish the throne of David. And then Jesus, one last time, tells him, and Peter, being Peter, says, well, God, Jesus, same thing. Well, Jesus, if you're going to die, then I'm going to die with you. I'm willing to go all the way with you, God. All the way. Not backing up. And Jesus smiles, or maybe he didn't. But he looks at Peter and says, no, before this is all said and done tonight, Peter, you will deny me as if you never knew me. Matthew 26, 74 and 75. Then began he, Peter, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the word of Jesus which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter messed up. Peter made a mistake. And the Bible Shows us the emotion of Peter. He wept bitterly. This was not just where Peter said, Oh, I said something dumb, or Oh, I kind of stepped out of line, or No, Peter was broken in this fall, shattered. And wept. And we all know what it is to weep. It's not just one or two tears. It's not just a stirring of sadness. But it is a brokenness inside knowing that I have failed God. I have messed up. Maybe Peter felt I have gone beyond the reach of Jesus. I was the one that denied him. When I was the one that said I would go all the way to the cross with him. What great weight Peter must have felt. One place says that he looks up and Jesus looks at him. And making the eye to eye contact with your Lord and Savior. And knowing I have just denied this man. And he goes out into the night weeping bitterly. Broken. 
probably wondering if God will ever use him again. And it's real easy to read about Peter. But we live here. When we win, we fall. When we make mistakes, when we mess up. If you continue reading, we know that Jesus is crucified. We know in three days he rises again. And let me stop here just long enough to point this out. If you feel like you're living in a dead place, Jesus has a resurrection for you this morning. I don't mean a physical resurrection. I mean a spiritual resurrection. Paul said in Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You feel like your life is dead and worthless and you feel like there's no point to your life? Why don't you try Jesus this morning? Jesus said in John, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you want to see the spiritual realm, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus looks at him and he says, what does all this mean, Jesus? And you go to verse 5 and he says, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. If you're born of the water and if you're born of the spirit, then you can enter into this kingdom. So I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, right now, today is your day. You don't need to wait any longer. You don't need to put it off till next week. No, 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 no. Today is the appointed time. Now, today is the day of salvation. Jesus Raised from the dead. Some of the first people there, Peter and John. Some of the women. And then Jesus begins to appear to his following, letting them know I'm risen, I'm alive. This thing is not over with. But there is something being born right now. But I, and I could be wrong. But I personally feel like Peter wasn't all better. And we'll get to why. Because Jesus has a very personal encounter with Peter. With just Peter. And we live this way when we mess up. We make mistakes. Maybe we even walked away from God. Maybe we walked out of the house of God. And we're trying to find our way back. And we may be in the house of God. And Peter's sitting in these situations where Jesus is appearing. And he's seeing him. But there's still the hurt. Of knowing I denied this man. And the other disciples are rejoicing. And Peter's putting on a facade. But he knows. I messed up. And so you get to this scripture. It says this. John 21 and 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. And for the longest time, I thought that this was Peter kind of giving up. Like, Well, okay, it's not going to work out for me. I'm just going to go back to what I used to be. We know he was a fisherman. We know he was called while he was fishing and for the longest time, I, I saw it as Peter kind of threw in the towel. Well, I'm done. I'm going fishing, boys. This Jesus thing is for you guys. But I don't know that I see it that way anymore. And this is why. Because the first place Peter ever encountered Jesus and his call to ministry was on a fishing boat. And I believe Peter reached a point 
where he said, I can't get a hold of God the way I need to. And so, boys, I'm going back to the first place I encountered God. I'm going all the way back to that place where I felt the anointing fall. And I looked in my master's eyes and he said, I will make you a fisher of men. I'm going back to that place, John. I'm going back to that place, Andrew. Back to the beginning. Back to where my calling, my anointing first started. That's why I believe Peter says, I'm going fishing. And it was a last-ditch effort to, to connect back to Jesus. We know Jesus doesn't disappoint him. They fish all night. And Peter, things aren't working out. They're not catching any fish. And then Jesus shows up on the bank. And all the way back to the beginning. Musicians, if you'd come. I could see as Peter's trying to pull an empty net out of the water. And he knows I've fished all night and I ain't found a fish. And I certainly ain't found what I'm looking for. And in my imagination, I can see as Jesus from the bank yells at them, Hey! Have you caught any fish? And I can see Peter's head snap up. And he knows that voice. And in his mind, he goes all the way back to when Peter had no purpose. To when Peter had no beginning. He had nothing in life except to be a fisherman. And he snaps back to that moment. And again, he hears the call. The same voice that said, Peter, come walk on the water with me. It's now the voice that's saying, Peter, I know I'm asking you about fish, but really. Will you give it a second shot, Peter? And I can see Peter as he lets go of the net. And John looks and what are you doing? We need that. And Peter doesn't hear a word. He's saying, no. The Bible says that Peter was undressed. He wasn't in the right state of mind. He wasn't in the right place to meet with Jesus. He, he had some things he still had to get right. But it was, it was time. The call had come again. And Peter says, look, that, that, all that stuff, the clothing, all that stuff, I'll get it figured out later. But I got to get to Jesus. And he dives into the water. And he swims to the shore. We don't know what happened. But all I can see in my mind is as Peter throws himself at the feet of Jesus. God, there's some stuff in me that ain't right. And the exchange. Get up, Peter. Let's go eat. What's that? God has sustenance for you. God didn't have to feed them right there. But he did. Let's go eat. And there's the harvest there. We could preach about the harvest. They bring in the nets. And the nets are full of a very interesting number. I, I don't understand why that number. But it's there. And then the exchange. Peter. Oh God, Peter, do you love me? And in Peter's mind, I, I know I love him, but, but I know I failed him. And three times, three times, how many times through Peter's life did he hear a rooster crow and have to fight through that? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. And he kind of looks away and trying to hide the brokenness. But God's not willing to leave you halfway. God wants to make you whole. And so, 
Again, Jesus knows, Peter, this is going to hurt a little bit. But I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. Peter? Yes, Jesus. Peter, look at me. Yes, Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Second time. And again, Peter, what God, do you love me? Peter tells him, God, you know everything. You know I love you. Okay, Peter, then go feed my sheep. And then, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. After the fall. For when I fall, I shall arise. And I can see Peter is in the spirit. Day after day, he climbs back to his feet. And then he steps up with the eleven on the, on the day of Pentecost. And he begins to preach. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. Peter knew all about repentance. And be baptized. And God's going to make you new. I can see Peter as he sits down and whether he talked to John Mark or he did it himself, I can see as the revelation begins to flow out of this great man and we find first and second Peter and all the things that come to us out of those books. But the point is all of that came after the fall. Because a man made up in his mind, no, if I can make it to Jesus one more time. One more time. I saw him open blinded eyes. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him feed thousands of people. Maybe, maybe. I can find forgiveness. And he did. So we find ourselves today with some of Peter's best work through the Holy Ghost on a screen. This is what God dropped in my spirit. Walking with God is a journey. Everywhere in scripture, it's a walk. We walk by faith and not by sight. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This idea of walking. God's people are not supposed to stagnate. We're not supposed to stay still. Why? Because you, you begin to die. This is why I believe personally, and I, this is just me, but this is why I believe that there are miracles about lame people. Why? Because they couldn't walk. They were the children of God, but they had reached a point spiritually where they couldn't walk. They had stagnated. They had been broken. And so Jesus heals them physically to show us spiritually that if you feel like you're broken, you can't walk this morning. He can put you back on your feet. I can't do it. Cornerstone can't even do it. Bishop, as great as he is, and the anointing and the authority that's in him, Bishop knows, I got to get him to Jesus. And I close with this. If we could all stand. so there's so much in this we walk by faith and we're walking through life and Micah rejoice not against me oh my enemy for when I fall and sometimes we find ourselves in this position facing the mud God what is going on in my life God asked me this question. And Bishop, you almost preached my message. God asked him this question. How do you get up when you've fallen? 
You get to your knees. And from this position, then we once find the strength to get back up. And so the process of victory is not just an overnight thing, but the process of victory is in fact every time I fall. Proverbs said, a just man falleth seven times. There's a whole deal there with seven. But he gets back up. And so the process of victory is not, I hate to break it to you, but you're not going to win every conflict. You're not going to win every engagement. We're going to have bad days. But it's this continuing of every time I hit the ground, of crawling back to my knees, crawling back to that place I first encountered God, back on the fishing boat and saying, God, I know I messed up. I know I failed you. I feel like a complete mistake right now, God. But if I can just hear your voice again, I know. You'll make me whole. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're broken and you feel like you're laying in the mud, I encourage you. I'm not asking you to get back to your feet right now. I'm not asking you to go preach a seven-week revival. I'm not asking. No, 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 no. The Holy Ghost is asking you this morning, do you think there's just enough strength in you for you to crawl back to your knees? Because on my knees, I am strongest. Peter said, I sought the Lord over and over and over. And God kept telling me, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Why don't we pray? If you're here this morning, your way out is not just to be all better. Your way out is to make it back to your knees. We need to make it back to that place of prayer. That place where we first heard the voice of God. Where we first felt the anointing of God. If I can make it back to my knees. If I can make it back to that prayer closet. I know. His mercy is new every morning. His grace has appeared unto all men. If I can just make it back. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord. Come on, that's it. Let's pray.